WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Certain native bees, like bumblebees, are extremely efficient pollinators because they're able to perform buzz pollination. Essentially, buzz pollination occurs when bumblebees vibrate their wings at specific frequencies, and that causes the pollen within the flower to be released. Today, we're here to talk to Jenna Walters. Jenna studies bumblebees, but also how they pollinate blueberries. Jenna, can you please introduce yourself for us? Hi, I'm Jenna Walters. I'm a first-year grad student in the Rufus Isaacs Lab, which is a pollination ecology lab for small fruit entomology. My work is centered around understanding how extreme heat impacts blueberry pollination on both the plant level and the bee level. Thanks for joining us today, Jenna. Blueberries are an interesting fruit. They're pretty common. We see them all the time at supermarkets whenever we visit them. And that makes me believe that they're actually found across the United States. Could you clarify where blueberries are commonly found? And what is the definition of extreme heat for these plants? I could imagine that they differ from plant to plant. Blueberries are grown pretty widely across the United States, but they're grown pretty concentrated in just a few. Of the 50 states in the U.S., 38 grow blueberries, but about 10 states grow about 98% of the blueberries in terms of acreage in the United States. Places that blueberries are really widely grown, like Michigan, for example, is one of the primary blueberry growers next to places like Washington, even like Florida, Maine, different places like that. There's two main different kinds of blueberries grown in the United States. So there's the northern highbush blueberries, which is what we grow here in Michigan and other northern states like New Jersey and in Washington as well. There's also lowbush blueberries, which are grown in southern states. That has to do with the cooling hours of the different blueberry plants. Highbush blueberries need a greater number of cooling hours or the time at which blueberries need to be in cold weather than the southern blueberry bushes. For what is considered an extreme high temperature is pretty different even within a cultivar basis. There's different kinds of cultivars or varieties of blueberries. So when you think of apples at the grocery store, there's gala apples or red delicious. It's the same for blueberry cultivars. The temperatures at which they're affected is varying by the cultivar. In general, in Michigan, with highbush blueberry cultivars, extreme heat is generally going to be somewhere between 86 degrees Fahrenheit to even up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit which has only gotten to these temperatures in recent years. Usually blueberries are mostly affected by cold temperature. So a lot of research has been done to understand how spring frost may affect blueberries. But really, in the past few years, the extreme heat is what is affecting blueberry yield in Michigan. It's funny you mentioned that, Jenna, because we recently had an episode about cherries, and we were discussing how temperature fluctuations affected them, mainly in regards to the cold temperatures. You had mentioned that the blueberries can go through this cold snap in the spring, but I know that blueberry picking is sometime in the summer. What is a typical growing period of a blueberry, and how is it affected by this extreme heat? So actually, the time at which I'm looking at how extreme heat affects blueberries is not even during the berry production period. So the time that I'm looking at how blueberries are affected by extreme heat is during its bloom period. 
So essentially when blueberries bloom in the early spring, so between late April to early May, blueberries will kind of, depending on cultivar, begin to bloom every few weeks. And the temperatures around these blueberries affect the effectiveness of the pollinators visiting those flowers. But also what we're starting to find out for the first time, how the heat actually impacts the viability of the pollen that these bee visitors are moving between flowers. So essentially what I'm looking at is the bloom time period, and I'm not looking at the berry period. And this bloom time period is important to look at in terms of temperature because what we're starting to find out is that extreme heat actually is able to reduce the viability of pollen germination. Pollen germination is necessary for fruit quality and fruit yield. So while blueberries don't necessarily need uh, pollinators in order to set fruit, there's a greater yield and a greater size of berry when effectively pollinated, mostly by bees. That's an interesting point that you bring up that the pollen would begin to degrade under this extreme heat. And that leads me to think about how enzymes are broken down in extreme heat or in acidic environments. In the case of the blueberry flower, how does the extreme heat affect the pollen? So far in my research, I've been focusing on evaluating how blueberry pollen responds to varying extreme heat temperatures using nutrient medium. So using an agar that I put, that I buzz pollinate this blueberry pollen onto a nutrient medium dish, I'll expose it to these different extreme temperatures. And so thus far, I've been evaluating how heat affects pollen germination and the pollen tube growth within a pollen grain. And pollen tubes are the system at which a pollen grain will grow into the ovule or the female part of a flower, and that is what produces the fruit. So I'm looking at how pollen is affected varying temperatures, so starting at 86 degrees Fahrenheit to up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, how blueberry pollen grains respond to those temperatures. So I'm finding at between 95 degrees Fahrenheit to up to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, blueberry pollen grains will have their germination, if not completely inhibited, almost completely inhibited. And the length at which these pollen tubes grow also being shortened as temperature increases. And the reason that this germination and these pollen tube lengths are important is because these are the systems at which a blueberry pollen grain will move into the ovule of a flower. If that becomes pollinated with viable pollen, that is what produces our blueberry fruits. So when temperatures are too hot, even if a bee is doing their job of pollination and moving a pollen grain, from the anther of a flower to the stigma of a flower, the heat is going to reduce its viability. And so there will be reduced, what we suspect, there will be reduced crop yield and, and berry quality. And while we're still looking into this, we kind of drew our inspiration for this research from 2018 fields in Michigan where temperatures were in blueberry fields above 90 degrees Fahrenheit for up to over four hours. So to kind of put it into perspective, 
but usually Michigan will yield about 100 to 110 million pounds of blueberries. But in this 2018 season with the extreme heat, there was only 66 million pounds harvested. So growers were reporting of 30 to 50 percent yield loss, which has never been seen before, considering all of the pollination rates and everything looked fine. So what we're starting to understand is that the role of extreme heat of reducing blueberry yield and potentially berry quality. Wow, that's a drastic difference that you mentioned in the 2018 harvest. Farmers were only able to gather 66 million pounds of blueberries versus in other times they're able to harvest around 100 million pounds. How can that be affecting the pollinators too who depend on the pollen for nutrients? Considering pollen is the primary source of proteins and lipids for bees, the quality of those resources is essential for bee survival, their reproduction, and their overall resilience to stress. And while we're currently looking into investigating the pollen chemistry uh, of blueberry pollen when exposed to different temperatures of extreme heat, we know that the nutritional quality of pollen generally varies among species and is extremely important on bee health. So as mentioned before, my work is mostly focused on bumblebees, which are a native pollinator to Michigan. And bumblebees specifically are really important pollinators to blueberries because bumblebee queens emerge in the spring about the same time that blueberries are starting to bloom. So about a quarter of a bumblebee queen diet is comprised of blueberry pollen. So it's really important that that pollen resource is sufficient for that bumblebee queen because when she emerges in the spring, she is going to start building up her colony. So bumblebee queens will overwinter in the late fall and then emerge in the spring and start developing their colonies. So making sure this first bound of pollen protein resources is sufficient is extremely important. We know that when colonies are exposed to poor nutritional quality resources, that their colony growth has been decreased and mortality is increased. So this hasn't been reported in blueberries because blueberries generally are a high quality resource for bumblebees. And kind of this gap that I'm investigating is whether or not extreme heat may render a previously high quality resource low quality. And considering it's 25% of their springtime diet, it's an important question when we're talking about native bee health in Michigan. Wow, I never really understood how much the queen bumblebee is actually depending on the high-quality blueberries to use as a food source. Earlier, you had mentioned that you were studying how these bees practice this buzz pollination. Could you tell us what's the buzz about buzz pollination, and how do you simulate it? Do you use a computer, or do you actually collect the pollen from the orchard itself and study its chemical composition? So buzz pollination is performed by bees that are able to do this sort of sonication or vibration with their wings. So buzz pollination is only performed by bumblebees and certain other native solitary bee species like in the family Andrinidae. But the common bee that most people think of, the honeybee, actually can't perform buzz pollination. So the reason why bumblebees are such efficient pollinators of blueberries is because they're able to perform this buzz pollination where they visit a flower 
And as they're visiting the flower and holding on to the corolla or the petals of a flower, they'll vibrate their wings at this certain beats per minute or frequency that these portisol anthers of the blueberry flower, which is basically just like a normal anther of a flower, but the pollen is extremely tightly adhered and it's only able to be released out of a small pore. So it requires an insect to do this buzz pollination and some sort of disturbance for that pollen to actually be released. So a bumblebee will visit this flower, she'll vibrate her wings at a certain frequency, and it'll cause almost like a little explosion of pollen, which will get all over her body that she'll groom into her corbicula or on the side of her legs where she stores pollen. And so that's how buzz pollination works in terms of how I simulate buzz pollination. Because there's this certain frequency, some years ago someone figured out that that frequency is similar to those found in a tuning fork or a electric toothbrush. So the way that I collect pollen in blueberry fields and in potted blueberry bushes in the greenhouse is I just buy your run-of-the-mill electric toothbrush from the store. And when I press this toothbrush against the end of a blueberry flower in a similar position to where a bee would be holding a blueberry flower, the pollen is released in this sort of explosion-like phenomenon, and I'm able to collect it in sort of vials. And then I freeze it to store and eventually move it to labs in order for the chemical analysis to be done. It's awesome that you were able to find a cheap method in order to simulate the same way that bees are able to do this buzz pollination to get the pollen. After you gather the pollen, what do you do with this specifically? So after I collect the pollen in the centrifuge tube, I immediately put it into a negative 80 degree freezer because basically as soon as pollen is collected, it starts to metabolize and when we're interested at what the chemical composition is of these different pollens are, it's important to have it not metabolize immediately. And actually, our lab is working in collaboration with the Department of Plant Biology, Dr. Thomas Sharkey, where his lab is actually performing the chemical analyses because they have the necessarily tools to do it. But essentially, like what many of us have done in our intro to biology course, where we're looking at protein content in the Bradford's assay, it's pretty similar with that, but a little bit more fine-tuned, and it requires less pollen than what we would use in a Bradford's assay to determine how much protein is in something. So I myself am actually not doing the chemical analysis, but working in conjunction with another lab. It's great that you're collaborating with another laboratory to perform this protein analysis. Something that's become common is whenever people have these bee farms, usually it's with the European honeybees, but between the native bumblebees and these honeybees, which one is the better pollinator? So between honeybees and bumblebees, bumblebees are definitely more efficient pollinators because they're able to perform this buzz pollination. And at the time, it'll take one honeybee to pollinate one blueberry flower a bumblebee queen can pollinate around six blueberry flowers. So they're definitely more efficient blueberry pollinators. And bumblebees, specifically bumblebee queens, prefer visiting blueberry plants over a lot of other different kinds of flowering plants in an area because it encompasses, as I said before, about a quarter of their diet. 
However, in commercial blueberry farms, people still rely on the managed European honeybee because they're able to place mass numbers of honeybees within a field. So although they're inefficient pollinators and generally don't like blueberry flowers and blueberry pollen all that much, the vast numbers that we can put within a field will still help promote pollination in a field alongside the native pollinators. So bumblebees are probably the second biggest visitor of blueberry flowers alongside of the European managed honeybees that growers will place in their fields. But there's other solitary species that can be found in Michigan One paper done by Rufus Isaacs, my PI of my lab, there was about 112 different species of bee found in blueberry sites across Michigan. So a lot of those are under the family of bee Helictidae or Andrinidae, which are mostly ground nesting solitary bees. So those are the main bees visiting blueberries. Over a year ago when we started the Sci-Files, we had someone on our show to talk about bumblebees. And it's been a while, but if I recall correctly, they had mentioned that the bees would go underground in the winter whenever it was getting too cold for them and that they would emerge back out in the spring. To relate this more to your research, however, we're talking about extreme heat, and that has me thinking about climate change. How does climate change affect everything that you're studying, like the crops, for example? So warming threatens the synchrony of growth cycles and largely the plant reproductive systems. At the last World Meteorological Organization convention in Geneva, Switzerland, scientists found that yields are expected to be reduced by 25 to 10% across crop species in the 21st century. And a lot of understanding how extreme heat is affecting crops is on this long-term scale So how our temperatures and our climate is going to long-term be changed, but kind of something that's not as studied and focused on is this frequency and magnitude of extreme heat events. So they can be acute and short, but extremely harsh. From the research that I've been looking at, we've only been stressing blueberry plants to four hours of heat and seeing these kind of widespread germination failures. This is kind of new in the field of understanding how extreme heat is affecting perennial plants because mostly the effects of extreme heat have been done on annual plants like corn and wheat, which have shown that extreme heat is reducing yields for those crops as well. But this research I have started doing is one of the first to understand how perennial crops or crops that grow every year and don't need to be replanted how they withstand extreme heat and what the potential economic injuries are for extreme heat on pollination. So extreme heat can affect the flower development, the bloom time, the pollen release, the pollen germination, and the fertilization. And the bees can also be affected on moving these things around. If it is too hot, likely these bees aren't going to be out foraging and doing these pollination services. But additionally, even if they are performing these pollination services and are moving from flower to flower, if the temperatures are too extreme, the pollen that they're moving isn't viable. And so on one hand, they are releasing and depositing pollen that isn't viable for successful fertilization for leading to fruit formation. And additionally, the pollen that they're taking back to their hives to give to their larval brood may potentially have a reduced nutritional quality. 
for other researchers that have looked at how poor quality diets affect bumblebees, it definitely impacts the overall hive or colony growth mortality. It's important that these researchers are investigating the effects of this high temperatures on these plants that eventually provide agricultural products for society to consume. What are some things that researchers and growers can do to lower the temperatures that the crops are being grown in? So one thing that we're looking into right now is whether or not overhead irrigation can help reduce the temperatures within a field. So um, using sort of this evaporative cooling where if we spray water over top of these fields, evaporative cooling occurs in low bush blueberries in Washington has been seen to reduce crop ambient air temperatures around two to five degrees. So that's something that we're looking into right now as a possible management technique in the future for extreme heat to help manage these blueberry fields. But for things that we can all do to help these native pollinators that are visiting these blueberry sites is we can all plant pollinator-friendly gardens, which provides habitat in urban areas, whether you live in Lansing or rural areas by these blueberry farms creating habitat for these bees to get resources from and to nest in is how we can help these blueberry fields both on the management side from the grower and on the public side to promoting bee diversity and bee conservation. We're reaching the end of our episode but before we go we're wondering could you tell us a little bit about yourself like what are you going to do whenever you're done getting your degree? I definitely plan on taking a little bit of time and looking at all the bees in the world. I definitely am an avid bee photographer, and I love just looking at different bees and plants in nature. But after I finish my graduate degree, moving forward and understanding how I can make a positive impact on understanding the role of climate change on pollination, both on the plant side and on the bee side, so whether that be on a nonprofit community organizational level or eventually one day running my own lab, I definitely plan to stay on track of understanding and tackling how climate change impacts pollination. Well, like you said earlier in the interview, you're just finishing your first year of graduate school. And at the end of your PhD, you'll eventually have bared the fruits of your labor, like a lot how the bees will pollinate the plants and then eventually bear these blueberries that we all get to enjoy and eat. I hope you have a positive experience while you're pursuing your PhD here at Michigan State University. And thank you for joining us today to talk to us about your research. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Dan Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandrin, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. The SciFiles can be found online on SciFiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at impact9fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>